Hello, and welcome to another episode of Listen. I'm your host, Rupal Goyle, but you can call me Roops. Today is a little bit of a different episode on the podcast. I'm doing another panel in my most recent panel series, and this is on South Asians and our involvement in politics and civil rights and how we are navigating the current political climate. So I have five wonderful panelists on the call today. Um, I'm just going to start calling out names one by one for you to introduce yourselves. So Sahana, would you like to go first? Um, I would love to, but I'm not honestly 100% sure what I should say. Um, I am a first year at the University of Georgia. Um, My family have been like staunch Democrats for like my entire life. And my dad always votes blue down the ballot. But um, like I've always been interested in um, politics. I've always like been interested in protesting. And I was active and protesting and activism in high school. Um, and I tried to as before that. But honestly, I wasn't even politically aware until high school. And um, yeah, I'm studying political science and economics now. Um, and I'm planning on going to law school. Um, that's my current plan. And I'm really excited to have this debate because I feel like Asian voices are usually overshadowed when it comes to conversations about civil rights and then when it talks about representation, especially in the political process. So I'm really excited for this conversation. Thank you. Next up, Soumya. Hello, um, my name is Soumya. I am a second year college student at the University of Cincinnati. Um, And I guess like Sahana, I became more politically active in high school. Um, It really kicked off with the March for Our Lives movement. Um, which I helped like organize at my high school and from there everything sort of like spiraled and and catapulted I guess because like as you grow more aware of the the issues that are happening in the world and in your community you can't help but sort of get involved if you have that kind of drive for it so right now in college um, I am a part of Unite for Reproductive and Gender Equality which is sort of a nationwide collegiate group where we help um, lobby for different sexual health issues and also gender um, and sexuality rights. Gotta love Gen Z. Rupkata? All right. Hi, everyone. My name is um, Rupkata Banerjee. I'm a third year at Georgia Tech, and I'm studying math and economics. And I guess where I got my political start, I didn't really necessarily start in the political scene in high school. I did a lot of sexual assault prevention and domestic violence prevention work. And then I started learning that all of these forms of discrimination and oppression are kind of intertwined and you can't ever disconnect them from race or uh, class or any kind of societal hierarchy. So as I came into college and I became a little bit more politically aware, I started working with the American Civil Liberties Union. And from there, I think that's what kind of sparked like my more progressive thought before I was doing like domestic violence prevention work. And I also worked with voice at Georgia tech, which is a sexual assault prevention organization. And um, I'm learning how to navigate these spaces as obviously a South Asian, but with my background in learning about sexual assault prevention and how these issues plague specifically black trans women, black women, brown women, and disenfranchised groups around the United States. So I'm also really excited to be a part of this conversation because politics in the United States is very much black and white, and it's hard for us to find our space, find our voice, where we align, and how we can be allies to minority communities in the United States. Thank you for having me. Thanks for being here. Love that. Darius? Hey, guys. I'm Darius Chinoy, and I have to start by saying I feel really old. Um <laughs> Because everyone here is in college, and I graduated college in 2019, so I feel like a grandpa right now. I just have to say, 
Um, I'm definitely democratic. My family's democratic. Um, I like rolling off of like what you guys said about like how you guys have been doing your part. I didn't really have much like political activism. I didn't really do anything in college or in high school. I think we'll probably talk about this, but like growing up brown, we kind of just end up focusing on school so much that we forget about the community. So one of the things that I did when I graduated and I was really frustrated about like how I felt that I didn't have like a voice in America or felt like just signing petitions and being in protest wasn't going to do anything. I started a podcast called the no one really cares podcast. And so, yeah. <laughs> and so um, that's me trying to do my part by from my small group of people having conversations with my friends or, or people like around me about things that are going on in the world. And uh, hopefully it makes as big of an impact as this podcast here. Thank you. And last but not least, Shreya. Hi, I'm Shreya. I'm a second year med student at the University of Missouri, Kansas City. Um, so basically, I mean, like you just said, I feel like uh, my life hasn't been very political up until very recently. I think that um, like kind of the major like catalyzing factor, if you will, into me like becoming more involved in, you know, like protesting and um you know, lobbying issues like that within my own school or within my own class, I think has been just like seeing, you know, the injustices around me. I think like as a South Asian, you know, person coming from a high income family, we can't have this conversation without like the obvious topic of privilege. And I think that especially in like recent years, um, it's just really, it's just really heartbreaking to understand the fact that like some people are given so little and that like systematically like some you know like populations are so disadvantaged um while I like being a person of color I've probably never faced one ounce of discrimination in my life and I think that like um I think that's a major reason for why I wanted to go into medicine um specifically working with kids I recently joined an organization called Mission Adelante and basically we work with um underprivileged populations, kids um, from refugee communities, Latina communities. It's really fun. We get to play games with them, you know, tutor them. And I think that, like, I think that the reason why that's such a big part of my life is because it's really hard to come from a place of privilege and see that not everyone is granted that. And so I think that that's really um, kind of my take or, like, my perspective of what I want to bring to the table today. Thank you. And then last but not least, I guess me. <laughs> so for the listeners, yes. Um, if you have never looked at my Instagram ever, um, I am Indian. I am super Indian. Um, and that certainly plays into my experience and, you know, how I treat myself and others. Um, most recently, I, you know, I have, I've been vocal on social media, but I think coming from you know like Darius said where when you grow when we were growing up like he and I were just so laser focused on school that just the people around us kind of fell to the background as we tried to figure out our own stuff and so it really struck me as I got more involved in my schoolwork and in my extracurriculars that Di like diversity in spaces was non-existent so you know Darius and I went to the College of Business and we 
love, I mean, we love the college business. We love Georgia Tech, but we were both in organizations that were so primarily white um, that it was like, ter- like, like sun reflecting off snow, blinding white. Um, and as someone who did recruitment, I was really, really committed to, you know, increasing diversity in those spaces because you want to have those types of, you know, minority voices when you're making decisions on such a big level for such a big school. And that really applies, I think, in politics and government as well. I, if you come from a community where you don't have privilege and you're underserved and underdeveloped and people are not investing in you, um, South Asian or otherwise, you're never going to rise out of your station and, you know, pursue bigger, better things because you're hindered by all of these roadblocks, right? And people that use the whole bootstrapping uh, conversation, like pull yourself up by the bootstraps. I hate that. I hate that because you have put the burden on the person and making it seem that they're not committed when it's just, you know, like Shreya said, like all of you said, coming from a position of privilege, right? I most recently, I had the opportunity to in February volunteer with this a group in New York called South Asian Youth Action. And it was a community um, that was focused on providing enriching after-school activities for South Asian youth in underserved neighborhoods in Queens um, and across the boroughs, but mostly Queens. And so, you know, I went in as a PwC employee and, you know, taught these students financial literacy and tech principles and career guidance and realize that, you know, if it's, it starts here, right? It starts at the bottom and it starts with this generation, your generation, like even me and Darius feeling ancient as, you know, um, millennial Gen Z cuspers, we see what you guys have been doing and it's bonkers, like insane. So this is some, this is a question I had for, First, I think Shreya and Samia specifically. So you guys are both in the healthcare sector, right? You're both um, med students. You're studying to be um, going into that space. How does your experience as a South Asian and now what you're seeing in this medical space affect the way you view and interact with the world in a civic standpoint, especially? Um, I, I Can I answer first, Shreya? Do you mind? Yeah, for um, sure. I was just going to say, it's really funny you brought that up because last night and tonight after this, I have a meeting with like within the College of Medicine on the topic of like racial injustice in medicine. It's an issue that is coming up, I think, more recently. It's always existed. Healthcare as a field has always been so incredibly racist towards patients as well as towards providers. Everyone in the field can attest to that. Um, but recently, I think with this greater upheaval um, nationwide in the system, we're now finally being forced to confront that, not only on the upper levels of actual, you know, doctors, doctors and nurses and PAs practicing having to have interventions of like insensitivity training, but now they're incorporating that into into our education as well. Like as undergrads, we have to have these weekly seminars where we talk about, you know, racial issues and where we have to confront the fact that there is a systemic racial issue. Um, so like last night was our very first seminar on this topic and what a question was sent out to, for all of us to like answer in a poll. Like, do you 
pandemic, racism exists in America. And the overwhelming majority of the answers were yes, because I guess it might have to do with college students being more educated. Most of us are aware that like, yeah, these issues exist, especially after the summer. But like there were still a very few like amount of people that answered no systemic racism does not exist in America. And I really think um, this uncomfortable education and like re-educating that we have to have with like the students, the people that are about to enter healthcare, healthcare fields, as well as, you know, people that might sort of just be getting into it, like medical students or residents. I think that's where it all begins because the way that this, this field works is that you cannot really re-educate someone who is so superior to you, someone who's like an attending and has, you know, had their medical degree for decades and will always have that senior above you, you can't have that sort of conversation as their inferior, as someone who works under them, to call out their behavior or something that they might be doing, because that sort of dynamic doesn't doesn't work and creates a lot of conflict. So I think that's um, a point that is really important to get across, because when we talk about, as you said, you know, the conversation with our neighbors or our families, uh, that would be uncomfortable, or calling them out, that's really not able to happen in, you know, the field of healthcare. Kind of piggybacking off of what Samia just said, I love that you brought up, um, you know, the phrase like uncomfortable, uncomfortable conversation, because like, in my mind, you know, the, the kind of the dichotomy between comfort and discomfort, it's comfortable for me to like, be able to be in a situation where we're talking about diversity and we're acknowledging the fact that, you know, we're not all the same. There are disparities in healthcare, just in our society in general. And the discomfort comes to me when, you know, I'm surrounded by that um, white privilege or like, especially we see in the school of medicine, like a new trend of white confessionalism. And honestly, it drives me nuts because uh, like you were saying, we have like these required seminars basically about racial injustice. And I'm not sure if they were always in place or if they just got added this year uh, because of the resurgence of the Black Lives Matter movement. But um, over the course of the last few months, the semester, we have had a few um, lectures. And I think that, you know, while the School of Medicine does a decent job of, you know, talking about like these key issues and how to diminish the inequalities and the inequities that we see in healthcare. There's also this complete disconnect between the School of Medicine and the undergrad campus. Um, because I feel like I should explain the program that I'm in, it's like a six year program. And so um, most of our classes are on the undergrad campus, but a couple of them are on the School of Medicine campus. And so I remember sitting um, in one of the lecture ha halls last year, and we were getting a lecture on um, on diversity, but the lady who was talking to us was just, like, so Caucasian, and, like, while, you know, we appreciate it, we appreciate you speaking to us on um, a very important topic, it's like you're speaking to a class of 100 students, 60 of which are brown, you know, we don't really need to hear from someone who does not have the same experiences as us, and um, it just seems really, like I said, the whole white confessional aspect of it, you know, it's kind of like seeking validation from POC. And um, in my mind, and I've had discussions with my peers as well, in our minds, it's like, why are you talking to us about things that you have no clue about? Because 
they speak in hypotheticals, you know? And I think the first time that we really got exposure to, um, you know, a, a perspective from a Black lady was this year. And she spoke to us about, you know, important issues. And that was the first time that I felt like we were actually getting information about how to not discriminate against our patients when we're in a hospital setting. And I'm sorry, I feel like I'm ranting, but um, I just, I see this, um, even within our own like shadowing experiences, we have uh, basically a shadowing class where 12 of us are assigned to one physician. And the physician that we were assigned to is an ER doctor. And I mean, she's fantastic and we all love her, super helpful, but you still see these glimpses of um, just, kind of it's like a generational thing you know being out of touch with um being completely politically correct I remember there was a time where we were shadowing her last year and she even though she was quoting a dialogue uh from what one of the patients had said she just said the n-word like it was like there's nothing wrong with it and me and the two other girls that were with her we just looked at each other and we were like where do we go from here you know because and she didn't even flinch um is the thing and even though it wasn't necessarily her words it's like this really weird again like contrast of you know being in an environment that's like progressive on one side and you see her talking about you know like treat all your patients equally but then there's also this kind of disconnect um like Sami was talking about the whole like how do you correct a superior there's such a power dynamic and I just feel like it's so multifaceted and it's so hard to just like speak about these issues just like in one sitting but I think that's how I feel that would get you fired on my campus I cannot believe she did that mm-hmm. The N-word? Just out loud? <laughs> Apparently, one of the patients had referred to someone else as that, and so she was quoting them. It doesn't make it okay, but... I... Okay, yeah. You, <laughs> you've said enough on that. I just... If I say anything, I'll get banned from every podcast platform. <laughs> so, this this brings me to, like, a really interesting question, actually. When you were speaking, I was thinking about this a lot. Um, How... We, as young South Asians, uh, speak up and become vocal in our communities where we are either at a primarily white institution, a la, you know, Rupkata, Sahana, U, uh, GT, UGA, Darius and me, um, Georgia Tech, um, and, you know, with our families, right, where they're superior. So I know a lot of you said you have, you know, democratic families, but maybe your neighborhoods aren't. Like, I know my neighborhood, like two of my neighbors just put up those flags where one side is the American flag and the other is the Trump flag. And it's just like, I go on daily, I used to go on, I try to go on daily walks. And every time I see that, I have to walk a little faster. Um, And it like, my heart rate starts going up and I start getting really freaked out. And... I just wanted to get your guys' perspective on how you speak up and speak out in these spaces where we're already minorities, but our thoughts and values might be as well. Any Anybody can go for it. I can chime in um, and speak to my experience with kind of organizing, maybe not within white spaces necessarily, but within like brown community spaces. So 
something that I'm learning now is just because somebody identifies as a Democrat or politically liberal doesn't necessarily absolve them from ingrained anti-blackness or um, it, like any kind of racism. I can I can speak directly to the brown community when I say that. So um, something that I experienced this past summer was immediately following the shooting of George Floyd, or sorry, the killing of George Floyd, excuse me, and multiple racially motivated murders, um, including the one in Atlanta. We decided, a few of my Bengali friends and I decided to come together and organize within our community. And um, for those, like I think Rubel, you follow me on Instagram, so you saw um, some of the backlash that we received, but we tried to start a conversation in one of our community forums about it. And there were definitely, first there were like the really aberrant, like visceral reactions. Some people said some really racist things, like archetype of, like, like negative stereotypes of black people that were totally unnecessary. But not just that, our community forum decided to take the conversation down because they thought that conversations about systemic racism, liberation of any form, didn't belong in community forums, which to us seems totally out of line. Like it's almost in our genetic memory as Indians to talk about freedom fighting, right? We should be having these conversations culturally in our spaces at least, but they removed it because they thought it was too controversial. So something that we've come into conflict with is that even though a lot of our parents are American citizens, they don't feel comfortable talking about these issues. And there are a bunch of weird, there are a bunch of weird nuances to the entire scenario. We don't have to unpack the entire thing, but because our cultural identity doesn't directly align with those of like a traditional American, we feel like we can't speak up on these issues. And we're like, if we stand up in a political space, we're told to go back home where we came from, or we're told to be quiet. So one of, I think, the key things that we need to work on is tackling inner conflict that we have with being an Indian and also being an American, being able to deconstruct our cultural identity with respect to how we play a role in American politics so people feel less scared about talking about issues that directly affect them and also understanding that if we improve the lives and well-beings of people at the total bottom of the social hierarchy in the United States, if we improve the well-being and the lives of black people, indigenous people, um, Hispanic people, then we we ultimately all um, get to feel the positive impacts of you know tackling that at at the base um, of where of where the the resources need to go, where the help really needs to go. So yeah, that's how I feel about that tackling uh, this weird fear sentiment and really digging into our cultural identity. Um, if I can add some things, uh, like when you're talking about that, I was um, thinking about a conversation that I had with my mother over the summer. Um, where I've been talking about why she wasn't politically active because she isn't. She really just votes for whoever my dad votes for. That's kind of how it works in my family. It's weird. But um, so we were talking, and I think there's like whenever there's conversations about what they deem controversial, which most of the time is just politics and religion, it's because they don't want to make it seem like they're criticizing anything about America. Like because they're so grateful to be like immigrants here, and they're so grateful to like have the lives that they have and like be this like upper middle class. Uh, like person with a livelihood they feel like that they can't um comment on anything that they see as wrongdoing so a lot of the conversation that i've tried to start in my family about indian politics about american politics has come from a position of like why aren't why are you criticizing the system that's been so good to you and it's not about how it's been good to me it's how my family success and this success has been on the backs of people who have had to live in a, a, a racist system and a systematically oppressive system for years and you not commenting on that doesn't like kind of like absolve you from like your um, un like unwitting activeness in that system, I guess. 
So that was something that was really interesting to me. It's like very weird how my like mother, it's not really weird, but it's just like the kind of like the nonchalance that, I, that most Indian immigrants that I've met have had towards politics because they just kind of assume it's fine. It's not really our issue. Like you were saying about how they don't really like feel like they're American enough to American enough to comment on it. It's been really interesting. Um, I know I'm talking a lot, but um, another big thing that I remember is that there was a humongous community organization that was happening in my area. I'm from a suburb of Atlanta, so it's like a relatively white area, but there were groups from different high schools organizing, Young Democrats organizations, local Sierra Club, and different organizations that were um, planning like humongous Black Lives Matter protests. And I had heard so much of don't go, don't go, don't be part of this for my family because they wanted me to be to be to be politically active, like in college. And for some reason doing it in my own community wasn't something that they supported, but I went to those protests anyway. I think that my voice and showing up for communities that don't have the same resources as mine was important. And, um, that's, um, that's something that's really important to me. So community organization has been something that my parents are not super, or like my community is not very supportive of, but I think it's important anyway for us to have those dialogues about why it's so uncomfortable for us to be, outspoken about um the issues that we care about and not only just thinking about it and posting about it on facebook so um in terms of the community that i've i guess there are two communities that i've gotten a chance to be a part of and i mean we all i'm from missouri so missouri obviously is a red state but it's like two like little liberal bubbles like on opposite ends there's st louis where i'm like originally from the lives and then there's Kansas City where I am right now for school and um I mean of course I'm grateful to be in relatively diverse um moderately sized cities you know where I see a lot of diversity and there are so many like-minded people you know who have similar mindsets to myself here um especially like going to school with them I think has been like kind of like a safe place but it's like you drive through it's a three-hour drive from one end of the state to the other end and I remember um, whenever I used to make the drive before, you'd see a lot of, like, pro-life billboards and stuff like that. Um, recently, I've been seeing a lot of Trump billboards. It's kind of fun. Um, and then every now and then I'll see a, a Biden-Harris one, and it'll make me a little bit happy, like, oh, we're not completely red, yay. But I think that, you know, like, this community that we live in, it's like, it's kind of, I was explaining what the word nation means to a kid today at volunteering. And basically it's like, there are so many nations within our country. And it's just so crazy to me that like the culture that exists in like different areas, depending on where you go, it's so different. Um, and I think that's why my parents have been like relatively like protective of uh, my brother and I, you know, growing up, it's like, stay here in the suburbs where we know it's safe. But it's like, bubble don't go downtown because like there's black associated with crime even me living in the city right now my parents um if they find my iphone me and i'm driving out it's just 9 p.m they're like it's dark outside you're in the city don't go you know and i think that they have like this mindset that um you know the segregation that we see like race associates with you know socioeconomic status which associates with like personality and i think that like going back to what you were saying about how um, the whole community involvement aspect, it's like, you can be progressive and liberal, but do it from your house. Don't go outside and do it, you know? 
Um, over the summer, during the Black Lives Matter movement, I organized a fundraiser for my med class. It was like a bracelet fundraiser. And my mom was so supportive of that. But then the next week, I was like, okay, I'm going to this protest. My mom was like, no, sit at home, you know? And so I still went anyway, because I feel like that's my civic duty. But I, I just, I think that, you know, the community that you live in really shapes your perspective. Um, and living in the suburbs of St. Louis was so different from living in the city now. And I walk outside, I see homeless people everywhere. Um, I can't, I can't drive anywhere without seeing, you know, homeless populations, predominantly black populations. And I just think that there's so many, um, so many injustices that we're so sheltered from living, growing up, at least I have been, you know, growing up in the community that I grew up in, um, two minutes away from where Rupal grew up in. So I just think that it's really interesting. So, like, the two times that I went and protested in Atlanta, um, it was the first time was after the Philando Castile, I believe, in Minnesota. Second time was George Floyd. And both times my parents didn't know that I went into Atlanta and protested. Because <laughs> if they would have known, and if mom and dad, by any off reason that you're listening to this, surprise, I went, okay? But they didn't want me to go. Because they thought it would be dangerous. During the George Floyd one, they were scared of COVID. And I always think it's funny about uh, COVID and violence because you saw what was happening like all over the internet about people in the protest, right? I always think it's funny how, at least in like our community, we really put like Gandhi on a pedestal, right, for example. One of the big things that they did was protesting as well. Can we agree with that? I think so. So now when we're in the position as Indian Americans to do that for our community, it's always like ironic because we, we were like so in on what happened in the past. But I mean, history is kind of repeating itself right now. And like, I want, we want to be a part of it, but it's not, it's not being supported. And I think I, I thought about this a lot. And I think one of the reasons is India is divided into a lot of communities, right? Like, just within this call, you guys mentioned Bengali community, right? So we have the Hindus, we have the, the the Muslims, we have Bengali. I'm actually Parsi and I'm Goan. So like, I'm not even a part of the ethnic groups that are predominantly here in the United States. So I never even belong to like any community per se, you know? Hence why my racial saliency is kind of low, if you guys like know what that term is, but I digress. I think a big reason why it's come to this is because we're so like divided in our communities within India, right? We come to America and we become more individualistic than we are community oriented because that's how we survive. We have to we have to only support like us and ourselves and our family for us to like rise to the ranks and make it as an immigrant compared to like helping the community. And I think that's what differs between like the black community compared to any communities because most of them aren't first generation like immigrants or second generation. Like they've been here for a few generations. We're just coming in here and we're trying to figure it out ourselves. And so, but that, that doesn't mean that we can't do anything in my opinion. I think for the, where we have to like mobilize is it starts at home by like even getting your parents okay with you protesting or getting them on board with what, what the new political correctness, what the big things are. And then it goes to the, like it starts at home. It starts with those conversations at the dinner table, goes to the community, and then we like we, we, we get stronger in that way. Rather than like 
political posts on Facebook and, and this, that, and the other. We have to like be a little bit more organized, I think. And so, but it always starts at home. It's a lot more grassroots than we think, in my opinion. And that's, I think that's the crux of it, right? Like starting at home and speaking up when you feel uncomfortable doing it. I mean, heck, even this pod episode, I had planned it out since my last panel, which was in June. And my mom was like, my parents, uh, God bless you if you're listening. Um, I'm not trying to shade, I promise. But it's, it's the fact that they were like, if you speak up about this, your name will be connected to this on the internet forever. And your peers are going to see it. And worst of all, your family friends are going to see it. And it's the fact that you're being so vocal and so politicized that really shakes up like in a lot of feathers. When I did my last panel, it was a panel of seven or eight of my black mentors and colleagues and peers from Georgia Tech speaking about their black experience and racism. And that was earth shattering in my household. Like, are you sure that's safe? What if a crazy white person attacks you on the internet was truly one of their fears. And it's, it takes a certain amount of courage, I think, for a, like an Indian parent to break out of that mold based on how we've grown up. For us, it's so deeply ingrained in the way we operate, right? We're here, we're young, we're energetic. The people around us have opinions. We're active on social media. Social media activism is pushing everything to the forefront. But our parents didn't have that. They had the insecurity of coming to a new country, dealing with already just base racism against them for being here, but wanting to cling to an American dream, right? And any threat to that very carefully crafted reality is not allowed. And that's what I think is the biggest challenge is, you know, all of you said made really great points about you know, sneaking out to protests. Um, Darius's parents, I'm really sorry <laughs> if this is the first you heard of it, but <laughs> that's really cool. That's really exciting. And I, and like, for example, Rupkata, I saw the Facebook posts and I saw some of the vile garbage that was being directed at you. And it was so painful for me to read as, you know, an Indian American, as part Bengali, like that my community that I treasure so much would do that. And so I really believe that in order for us to be, you know, politically active, to participate in civics and civil rights, we we have to start the education down here, definitely for sure. But I think, you know, something I was thinking about and questioning was, in your guys' opinions, how do we, um, as Asian voices, fit into civil rights? Like what is our... Now that we've talked about our families and our friends and being in, you know, predominantly, um, you know, majority white spaces, how how do we as a group in America fit? And where do you think we're currently lacking? Where do you think we need to be speaking up? I, mean, um, I think our main role right now is to just be good allies. We are not, it's not our time to be at the forefront of any movement, specifically like the race-driven movements right now, um, uh, other like gender, sexuality-related movements. So those are different stories. But like race-related movements, all we have to do is be good allies and be as supportive to those communities. Right now, it is predominantly like the African-American, like the Black community, um, because if we can't 
show that kind of solidarity, we're never going to achieve the goals we need. You know, what the the oppressors are like, what the, the ruling class, I guess, wants is a lack of solidarity. Because if we're broken up into pieces, it's so much harder for us to, like, form a fence and come together and say, these are our goals, this is what we're fighting for. Whereas if we all stand together, you know, more of us means that we're more powerful. That's that's just how it works. That's how it's always been throughout history. So further division is just going to hurt all of us at the end. Because, you know, a, a racist white person is not going to be like, oh, they're one of the good guys. Like, the model minority myth doesn't matter to them. They're going to see that you're not, not white, and they're going to be like, well, we're not, you're not on our side. We're not going to fight for you. So if they're not going to fight for you, it's, for, uh, it's up to us to fight for each other. I think the role we played in the past for almost all of the like issues was we're just the background as Indian Americans, right? We're just the people that had to like fit in within the cracks, don't really speak up. We got associated with a lot of frankly like negative things, but that is changing now. Not only because of people are being a little bit more educated, but the vast majority of Indian Americans now are have a first or second like education, whether it be college, whether it be master's, PhD, etc. The vast majority of us are citizens or on the way to becoming citizens. And so we now have legit voting power and actual power within the United States. And the way that we do this, I think moving forward, is what a lot of young people right now and young, I mean, people who are emerging into their uh, into adulthood and people who are in college like you guys right now, taking that momentum that we have and all the issues that we've seen, because literally nothing stops us, millennials and Gen Zers. There's nothing in our way, right? Taking all that motivation that we have and the, and the, and the ability that we have and fighting for those issues that we see happening to other people and stepping out of what we were as just those background people, those extras, those actors, and going to the forefront and helping other communities as much as, and it'll, and it'll help us as well. So I think that's how we do it, in my opinion. Um, I agree with like everything, that, uh, everything that everyone has said, but I think if there was like a specific issue that we had to focus on within our community, it's um, tackling our own discrimination towards other minorities, especially because of like the perpetuation of the model minority myth and the idea that we are better than them somehow because we got into this got into this got into this country or like got into the positions that we were because we're different like it, we're not I mean um, I think Somia was saying like the model minority myth does not matter to the people who are in positions of power so especially like I think anti-blackness and discriminatory behavior in our community is something that we really have to tackle when it comes towards civil rights and social justice conversations because there is so much anti-blackness and just the normal rhetoric that we have within our families when it comes to social justice issues when it came to the Black Lives Matter movement even though my parents were like yeah we support it they we support it unless there's riots they we support it unless it's this thing unless it's that thing and it's just like we need to be 100% in solidarity with the communities that have also been affected by the same things that we've been affected by. Like we are not exempt from this somehow. And um, also like Dar uh, Darius is saying, um, like showing up to polls, being more um, politically active, not being afraid to have those political conversations, I think will be so important when it comes um, 
what, like in the future of like social uh, of like South Asian um, involvement in politics because like usually Asian populations aren't as politically active as other um, minority populations. Like they don't go out and vote as much. They don't go out to rallies or protests or, or they aren't in the activism spaces as much as others. So I think if we just show our interest and our involvement in the political process, it'll just, even just like that small thing of showing up to polls more, being more active on social media, bringing awareness to different issues. I, it seems like a really small step, but it's like, I think that one thing will just show that we have things and ideas that we need to say on our voices and our opinions are valid. Yeah. yeah I mean, oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, no. Um, yeah. Identifying this commonality that we were talking, we were talking about the model minority myth earlier and that the, the ruling class doesn't really care about the model minority myth. The, the commonality here is that we have all been victims at some point of white supremacy and colonization. So a lot of this is about decolonizing our own minds and understanding that our struggles are very much interconnected. Even if we do have, or if we if we exist in a place of economic privilege, we're able to redistribute our redistribute our wealth and resources because we have been. Even though we can't fully empathize, we haven't gone through the exact same experiences. We've been through something similar. We see our culture in the United States slowly being eroded away. We see aspects of our culture being taken because of cultural appropriation. There is. We're all victims of something similar. So this understanding coming together and really collective community building. Um, yeah, and comprehending that if we are divided, like divided, um, we fall united, we stand, right? If we, if we are able to be allies to frontline and other minority communities, then we improve all of our well-being and um, our, our, our collective position in the United States. Yeah, I mean... I totally agree with everything you guys had to say. Um, I would add two things. I think the first thing that um, I've been trying to focus a lot on is, you know, like asking myself the question, like who is controlling the narrative, you know? And I think that like as an ally, um, if I am taking it upon myself to speak about experiences that I know nothing about, mm -hmm. you know, um, in terms of racial injustice, specifically like in terms of anti-blackness, um, all that good stuff, it, I'm doing the exact same thing that pisses me off when white people try to talk in place of me or in place of my um, peers who are people of color, you know? And so I think that that's a really important question for us to continue asking ourselves. Like you said, decolonizing our mind. We're so stuck in this white narrative that is the status quo. And I think that it's just, we need to put in the effort to, you know, re-educate ourselves on literally everything. Because everything that we see in America today is in some form, you know, altered to fit the people who are in power, which are primarily white individuals, you know. Um, and I think that the second thing that kind of goes along with, I don't remember who was talking about it earlier. It does go along with the model minority myth. But it's, you know, who are we to say as a community that South Asians are better as a population than any other population? It could literally be you know, white, black, whoever, who are we to say that, you know, we have more inherent value than any other given person simply because like, oh, the average family income of South Asians in the United States is more than that of blah, blah, blah. You know, I think that it's just, it comes down to like putting ourselves in a place of power because we don't want to give up, um, you know, the advantages that are already in place that, you know, that benefit us 
And um, one thing that I always like to, that is just really interesting to me, actually, is, you know, like, even if we're not being um, negatively impacted by a system that's in place, it means that we're being benefit benefited by it. Because if it's not directly, you know, like tearing us down, like it does to a lot of um, underprivileged populations, um, just because we're not disadvantaged like that, it means that we are profiting off of it in some capacity. And so I think that it's really important to recognize our privilege and to, you know, to use what we have. That's what I'm trying to do, at least, you know, as a student, I can only do so, so much, you know, like educate myself um, in school. But, you know, in the future, I know that once I'm in a position of more power where I have the ability to, you know, impact lives in healthcare, that, you know, I will use my background to hopefully make a positive influence on other people's lives. That is, this is a really, really great way, I think, to wrap it up. I, so, I'm so inspired by everyone. I, I know I reached out to all of you individually, seeing that you guys were so unapologetically vocal and honest and open in your lives about wanting to improve the human condition and using our places of power in society to do so. And that's really, really important. You know, intersectionality isn't everything we experience. The POC experience is not universal and it's not standard, right? And we do benefit off of the model minority myth. But at the end of the day, we're all still brown. So the oppressor is still still gonna oppress and we're still gonna benefit from systems in place that hurt others. And so it's our responsibility, I believe, to dismantle and understand and educate. So thank you guys so much for joining. Really insightful conversation. Cannot wait to email this to my um, red neighbors next door, um, living in a primarily Indian neighborhood. Um, Super great. Really great work. Um, As always, thank you everybody so much for joining me this week on Listen. If you have any questions, please don't hesitate to reach out. Um, I will be, you know, posting all of y'all on social media, blasting you everywhere like a proud mom. Um, If you want to check out any of the content, please find me at our Twitter, at Listen With Roots, our Instagram, at Listen With Roots, or our Facebook, which is also, you've probably guessed, at Listen With Roots. Thank you so much. Stay safe. Stay indoors. uh, Stay vigilant. And have a wonderful rest of your week.